Good morning, church. So very good to see you this morning. I, I love you and I appreciate you, but I also love this time, just getting to, to be with you. And sometimes I almost have to pinch myself. Think I get, I get to do this every week. One, one time I remember in Abilene when I was preaching there, it was, we had class first and then, and then worship. And after class was over, we were headed over to the auditorium for worship. And there was this little guy, just little bitty boy, and, and he was really upset. I mean, I don't know if he was crying out loud, but you could tell like he was in a grumpy mood, you know, just had a mad face. His arms were crossed. He was not having a good morning. And, and so I tried to cheer him up. I was like, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, how's your day going? And he wasn't saying anything to me. He wasn't giving me anything. And his mom explained to me, well, he's, he's not happy because he doesn't want to have to go to worship and be quiet and sit down and I thought, you know what, I can relate. I, that's why I preach, because they don't make me be quiet and sit down. So, so thank you that I don't have to sit down and be quiet. But I, I love the fact that you're here. I love the fact that you love Jesus and that we get to be a part of what we're a part of. I love the fact that you are taking love and joy and hope into the world because our world needs love and joy and hope. Amen? Amen? And you have that. And you get to not only come here and get your cup filled with love and joy and hope, but then you get to take it out this week into the world and help the world to be a better place. You get to be salt and light in the world because of who you are and what you have in Jesus. I know this, this metaphor that I'm going to use is a little bit silly. I'm going to show a picture of a couple trash cans. Um, shout out to my youngest son. He snapped a picture for me this week. Um, and I was thinking about the fact that, that this is probably the first place I've ever lived, I think, where we had two trash cans. And you probably have these two trash cans as well. And, and in one, in the green bin, we put all of our, our trash. And when we say trash, right, I mean it's, it's garbage, it's waste, it's, it's useless, it's worthless, it's disgusting. I never want to see it again. I don't want to think about it again. We put all of our stuff in there that is worth nothing. It's worthless. It's garbage. It's rubbish. But in, in the other one, in the other one, we, we put things that we think can be Here's, here's a good word, redeemed. Redeemed. Redeemed means to be, to be rescued. That, that in its, its current state that it's in, it, it has some problems, but it's not, it's not worthless. It's not worthless. It's, it's valuable, and it can be used again. It can be redeemed from its current state to be used again. And this distinction and this understanding that not, not everything is trash, not everything is rubbish, not everything is worthless, not everything needs to be cast aside, it's incredibly important for the way that we think about things, particularly about ourselves and about every other person in the world. There's a, there's a, a way of thinking and, and I admit, when I was growing up, I, I sort of adopted this way of thinking almost inherently, where I thought of myself, particularly my material self, my, my body. 
I, I thought of my body like trash. Trash before it's trash, understandably. Like I'm planning on using it, and I'm planning on enjoying it, and I'm planning on extending it as long as possible. But in the end, I'm just going to throw it away. In the end, it's worthless. In the, in the end, it's rubbish. In the end, it doesn't matter. That, that way of thinking, I, I, I came to discover that that way of thinking is not in line with Christian theology. That way of thinking is actually very dangerous, and it has all kinds of practical implications that are not good. In fact, we could say this, that one of the things that sets Christianity apart, one of the things that sets Christianity apart is our belief that the material creation, especially the human body, is redeemable. Now, this is incredibly important for us to embrace and to understand, and for us to recognize that not everyone has thought this way. Not everyone has thought this way. In fact, Greek philosophers like Plato didn't think this way. Greek philosophers thought that the material world is inherently bad. It's inherently bad, and, and, and you should want to escape from the material world. That was the Greek philosophical way of thinking, and the Gnostics were a group of heretical Christians who tried to take Christian doctrine and kind of merge it with Greek philosophy. And the Gnostics believed that the spiritual element is the true identity of persons who are aliens in the material world and body. They thought, the Gnostics thought, that salvation involves the genuine person or spirit being liberated from the evil physical world through knowledge. See, that's the way the Gnostics thought. That's the way the, the pagans thought, was that the material world is, is bad. It's painful. It, it hurts. It's, it couldn't have been created by a good God. But the Christian way of thinking is that, no, 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 the material world is good. It's fallen. It's broken. It's subject to a curse. It's, it's in bondage to slavery, but it's it's good, and because it's good, it's redeemable, that the human body is redeemable, that God can and God wants to redeem the human body. And I say this, and you think, well, what difference, what difference does that make? What difference does it make if I, if I think of my body and the body of other people as being trash and rubbish or that God can do something with the material body? What difference does it make? It makes a world of difference because how you think about the body will impact how you treat the body. Amen. How you think about the body, how you think about your body and the bodies of other people, and there, there are lots around you, and every day, not only do you think about your own body and treat your own body in a certain way, but you have choices to make about the bodies of other people. And how you think about the body, it impacts how you treat the body. So questions like these are really important. What is the purpose of the human body? What is the purpose of the human body? What is the significance of the human body? What is the destiny of the human body? See, Again, the pagan world and even the Gnostic world thought of the body as a meaningless shell, a meaningless vessel. 
But Christianity does not present the body that way. And when you think of the body as a meaningless shell, a meaningless vessel, and you think, well, my real self, my real essence is non-material. And this material body, it doesn't matter. It's just trash. It's just rubbish. I'm going to do away with it. If you think about your body that way, and you think about the bodies of other people that way, and you think all that really matters is the, the non-material stuff, what you think, how you feel, then it's going to impact how you treat your own body and the bodies of other people. And I hope by the end of this morning's lesson, we have a better handle on these questions. What is the purpose of the body? What is the purpose of the human body? What is the significance of the human body? What is the destiny of the human body? What is God going to do with the bodies of his people? So, we're going to get back to the book of Acts. We've been studying through Acts. We took a little bit of a break, and we're looking at Psalms. But if you have your Bible, we'll be in Acts chapter 9. And, and throughout the gospel accounts and throughout the book of Acts, we see these healings where Jesus and the apostles healed the body. And even, even just that, doesn't that give us a, a hint, an indication that God cares about human bodies, that God cares about your body, that God doesn't see your body as trash, as rubbish, as something to just be used and abused and escaped, that God puts significance on your body and on the bodies of others. Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. See, the, the biblical storyline paints a picture that says this kind of a situation, paralysis, for eight years, being bedridden, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way God intended for it to be. That God created human beings and put them in the garden. He put them in paradise. He put them in a place without any suffering and death. But then human beings, because of our rebellion, we chose not to live under the protection and the providence of God, but chose to move out of the garden, get kicked out of the garden, get exiled from the garden, and to live in the world where this sort of thing becomes commonplace. And Aeneas has been suffering under this bondage to paralysis for eight years. Verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. And notice, notice that Peter doesn't talk the way that the pagans talk. Peter doesn't talk the way the Gnostics talked. Peter doesn't say, well, your material body is bad anyway. You know, Don't worry about your material body. God's not worried about your material body. He doesn't say, well, the church is only concerned about knowledge and spiritual things. The church isn't concerned about material things like your body. No, in fact, he heals his body. And in doing so, there's both a, a pointing backwards and a pointing forwards, isn't there? 
He points backwards in a way that says, this is Jesus doing this. Not only does he specifically name the name of Jesus and says, Jesus Christ is the one who's healing you, but even in what Peter does here, there's echoes of what Jesus has already done. Remember, the book of Acts is the sequel, right? It's the sequel to the book of Luke to say this is what Jesus is continuing to do in the world. And it sounds very much like the time where Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. You remember? And he said, take up your bed and walk. And that's exactly what Peter does for Aeneas. Make up your bed. Jesus Christ makes you well. He, he frees you from this paralysis that's kept you bedridden for eight years. But then also in all of these healings, it's also a pointing forward. It's a preview it's a glimpse of what will be, of the healing that all of God's people will experience. And not just a temporary healing where your body will get sick again, where your body will die again, but a permanent healing, a permanent strengthening. One of my friends the other day compared these healings and these miracles to a movie trailer. You know what I'm talking about? A movie trailer. You, you watch a trailer of a movie, and it's not the movie but it gives you a glimpse. It gives you a preview. This is what it's going to be like when, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, when God is all in all. When, as Paul puts it in Romans 8, when creation is freed from its bondage to corruption, this is what it's going to be like for everybody. No more paralysis no more your body not working the way that it's supposed to work. God will heal his people. God will redeem his people. God will set his people's bodies free from their bondage to corruption. I mean, we, can, we don't have to look very far, do we, to, to realize our, our bodies, we may not be bedridden, Somebody watching online very well may be bedridden and know what this feels like in a very literal way. But all of us know what it's like for our bodies to hurt, for our bodies to be in pain, for our bodies not to work the way they used to or the way that they're supposed to. And the biblical storyline says that's because we're not in the garden anymore. But Jesus wants to bring us back to the paradise of God. Jesus wants us to have the tree of life. Jesus wants us to drink from the healing waters. He wants to set us free. He wants to redeem our bodies and heal our bodies. And this, what he does for Aeneas, is a glimpse. It's a preview. It's a trailer of what is coming. Look at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside them, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, I don't imagine the Gnostics liked this story very much. I don't imagine the pagans understood this story very much. Because they would think, well, I mean, Dorcas has already been set free from her material body. Isn't that a good thing? And they would look at this story and say, why are they weeping? 
Why are they sad? Why did they go call an apostle and say, Peter, hurry up and come here? Why? Isn't she better off dead? The gospel never puts things like that. The gospel never puts things like that. That's, that's the Gnostic way of thinking. That's the Greek, pagan, philosophical way of thinking. Jesus loves embodied humans and loves to heal people. This feeling that the widows had, this feeling that those who knew Dorcas had, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. And you've probably felt that way too, haven't you? When you've lost somebody close to you and you've wept and you've cried out and you said, it shouldn't be this way. Why did they have to get sick? Why did they have to die? The gospel affirms that and says, you're right, it shouldn't be this way. And one day, by the power of Jesus, it won't be this way. One day, no one, none of God's people will get sick anymore. None of God's people will hurt anymore. None of God's people will weep anymore. None of God's people will die anymore. You'll be raised to never die again. And this is the preview, verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. See, see from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, we get the same picture and the same idea, and we see it here in Tabitha's story, in Dorcas's story. She was not trash, and neither are you. Her body was not trash, and neither is yours, and neither is anyone with whom you will ever come into contact. People are not trash. People are not worthless. People are not disposable. And this story and every story in Scripture testifies to that truth and that reality. But what I want us to, to grab hold of is not just that reality and that truth, but the practical implications of that truth. What does that mean practically? What, what do you mean by that, Wes? How should, we, how should we live that out? What would that look like in our life? Look at Romans chapter 6. Paul's talking about baptism. And he's talking about when, when you were baptized into Jesus and what becomes true of you because of and through and in your baptism. And he says, because of this, you've been set free. He says in verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every, every, every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. When you were baptized, your whole body was baptized. Your whole body was buried with Jesus. 
Your whole body was united with Jesus, not just the inner parts of you, not just your thinking, not just your feeling, not just your intentions, not just your will, not just your spirit, but your whole self. And that's important. It's important for you to realize that your fingers and your toes and your mouth and your hands and your feet and every part of you, it exists now as sacred tools, instruments to be used for righteousness, to be used for God's glory and for your neighbor's good. Every single part of your body belongs to Jesus. It's been set free. If you've been baptized into Jesus, your body is no longer enslaved. It's been set free. And since it's been set free, now every part of you should be used for him, for his glory, not for your own indulgence, not for your own pleasure. Your body doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Jesus. When we lived in sin, we put our bodies in bondage to sin. But when we believed in Jesus and were baptized into Jesus, our whole body, our whole body got set free. And Paul says this has practical implications for everything you do. From every word you speak, every step you take, everything you touch, everything your eyes see and your ears hear, this has implications for everything. Look at the way he puts it in chapter 12 and verse 1 of Romans. He says, therefore, based on everything he said, chapters 1 through 11, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, what? Your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Offer your whole, not just your spirit, not just your mind, not just your thoughts, yes, all of those things, but your body. God wants your body. God wants your fingers and your toes. God wants your mouth. He wants your ears. He wants your eyes. He wants your whole self. And he wants you to trust him with your whole self. He wants you to trust him with your whole self. To understand that God wants what is best for your body. Your body is not trash. And neither is anyone else's. Your body does not just exist to be a vessel or a shell for your spirit. Your body is significant and important, and God wants you to offer it not as a dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. To say every movement of my fingers and every movement of my toes and the way I use my eyes and the way I use my mouth for your glory we used to sing a song, at least I did when I was little at BBS, and we'd say, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you speak. There's a lot of theological truth in that song. Your eyes, your feet, your hands, your mouth belong to Jesus. And this idea... This idea that my body doesn't matter or what I do with my body doesn't matter. All that matters is what I believe or all that matters is how I feel or all that matters is what I think. That is not in keeping with the gospel. 
The gospel is Jesus loves your body. Jesus has a plan for your body. And if you're baptized into Jesus, your body belongs to him. And every part of you is to be offered to him as a living sacrifice. Think about the way the church at Corinth thought about their body and treated their body. There was all kinds of sexual immorality going on in Corinth. And one of the ways they justified it were with these words. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13. Paul sort of quotes their argument and says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. They sort of had a utilitarian view of the body. My body exists. It has appetites. I, I just fulfill my appetites. I do what my body feels like doing. It's, you know, it's just like food. If I'm hungry, I eat it. And that was their philosophy about the body, that it didn't really matter, that it was ultimately destined for the trash. And Paul says, that's not in keeping with the gospel. Here's Paul's response. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for who? The Lord. The body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also, there it is. There's the answer to our question. Do you see it? There's the answer to all three of our questions. What's the purpose of the body? What's the purpose of the human body? It is, Paul says, for the Lord. That's the purpose of the body. Not to just fulfill your appetites. Not to be whatever you want it to be. Not to do with it whatever you want to do with it. Your body is for the Lord. That's the purpose of your body. Your body is given to you as a creation of God and especially as a new creation of God. Your body is given to you for the Lord. It's the purpose of it. To serve him. To serve your neighbor for his glory. Your body is for the Lord. But also he says, and this is an amazing phrase, the Lord for the body. The Lord is for the body. God is pro-human body. God is pro-human body. And that flew in the face of what Plato taught. That flew in the face of what the pagans taught. That flew in the face of nearly every worldview and religion. God is pro-human body. God is for the body. The Lord is for the body. That's why he healed the paralytic. That's why he raised the dead. That's why he gave sight to the blind. That's why he chose the human body as his new temple. That's what God chose, isn't it? Because God is for the body. He made the bodies of his people his spirit's temple. And even going all the way back to creation, when God said, I need to make an image of myself, I need to make an image bearer of myself, the pagans, they thought that their gods had commissioned idols to bear the image of those gods. But our God did not commission the making of stone or wood or metal statues. What he wanted as image bearers is living, breathing, moving bodies of humans. 
And you will never see another human being that is trash. You will never see another human being who doesn't matter. You will never see another human being that is disposable. Every human being you see was created by God to be his image bearer. And God wants, whether or not they've allowed this to happen, God wants his spirit to dwell in their body. And then he tells us the destiny of the human body. The destiny of the human body is to be resurrected, is to be redeemed. That my dead body isn't going to stay dead. And you say, yeah, but Wes, I mean, when my body dies, it's going to turn to dust, absolutely, and God is going to put it back together And he's going to transform it so that it's immortal and imperishable. And it's not broken and it doesn't hurt and it doesn't get old and it doesn't wear out. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. And it says that this is pivotal, pivotal to Christian understanding. We have to understand this is the purpose of the body. This is the significance of the body. This is the destiny of the body. Because it affects how we treat the body. So I think there's no better phrase to end with than what Paul says, that the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And you see, there's all kinds of implications to this, aren't there? And most of them are hot-button topics in our culture. But the reason I take the stance that I take and have the perspective that I have on so many issues, whether it's sexual ethics or gender or the life of the unborn or everything that we do to our own bodies or to the bodies of others, like feeding those who are hungry, clothing those who are naked, putting a roof over the the heads of the homeless. All of the perspectives that we take ought not to come from alignment with political parties, but come from alignment with Jesus and with his spirit to recognize that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body, which means that I have to make sure that I honor God with my body, that everything I do with my body matters to God. And that I have to honor him with my body, not just with my mind, not just with my will, not just with my intentions, not just with my spirit, but with my body, because the body is for the Lord. But I also have to, I also have to honor and respect and give dignity to the bodies of others, because the bodies of others matter to the Lord. You see, how we think about the body impacts how we treat the body. If you think about your body like it's trash, or you think about the bodies of other people like they're trash, then it will impact how you treat yourself and how you treat them. But if you believe that your body and the bodies of others are for the Lord, and the Lord is for their body, it will change how you treat other people and how you treat yourself. So let's go this week and use our redeemed bodies for righteousness, 
for goodness, to do good to other people. And let's reflect on the importance and the purpose and the significance of other, every other human being that God puts in our path. Maybe there's somebody this morning and you're ready to devote yourself, your whole self, your whole body, your whole present, your past, and your future to the Lord and be buried with Jesus in baptism. Or maybe you need prayers or encouragement. Maybe you feel guilty about the way you've used your body because we've all used our body for sin. But this is a new week. This is a new day. This is our opportunity to repent of the ways we've used our body in a way that brought dishonor to the Lord and commit ourselves to doing better today, to doing better this week. And if we can help you with that in any way, now's a great opportunity to come forward as together we stand and sing.